Josh Walsh, my friend, here we go again. Can you believe it? You're back again, man. You're my favorite Texan, man. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because we've been kind of toying back and forth a little bit about getting you down here to enjoy some uh, to enjoy some Texas brisket and some. I've heard ribs. I've heard legends about uh, Cowboy Bob's brisket. So, oh, dude, let me tell you, I, I would be <laughs> I would be I would be thrilled to fire up the big egg for you and put some ribs on and some briskets and sit around and talk jazz like we're going to do today. You're not going to have to twist my arm very hard. <laughs> I know it. I know it. So, <laughs> all right, man. Hey, I'm really excited because you and I have been talking about uh, getting together um, periodically throughout the year and spotlighting different musicians, artists, uh, and and a specific transcription, a recording. And, uh, man, I tell you, you, you took the, the ball and ran with it because, oh, my goodness gracious, we we have on on slate today Ben Ben Patterson's My Shining Hour and <laughs> what an epic transcription that you have uh, completed and done. So I'm gonna let you just I'm gonna just turn the microphone over to you for a second. Let's let's just talk about how how you selected this tune this solo, uh, and then we'll and then we'll go from there. So it's all, the mic's all yours, my friend. I'm an Oscar Peterson fan. Who isn't? Right. Yeah, and right, uh, right. I often when I study Oscar Peterson, I learn little things, but it's so overwhelming for me at times. Okay. What stood out to me about this one is one, how Oscar it sounds. It is from an album in yes. 2012. He called uh, Blues for Oscar. It, and it sounds right. like Oscar uh, in so many ways. But at the same yeah. time, My Shining Hour is not a harmonically complex tune. It's full of at least the way that he has arranged it. It's full of five of fives or two fives. It's two five ones all the way through, basically. Right. And right. so it's it's not lush life, right? It's got tons of like crazy harmonies and stuff <laughs> right. in there, right? It's right. really approachable right. uh, from a harmonic structure and everything interesting about it comes out of the way he creates the solo lines. And I just, I listened to it and I listened to it again and I listened to it like three times in a row the first time I heard it. And I was just like in trying to figure out what I was hearing because it was so bluesy, so beboppy, so much mm-hmm. like Oscar um, that I just, mm-hmm. I had to sit down and figure out some of it. So I sat down to just kind of like cherry pick a couple lines here and there about things that I liked. And then I heard that same motif repeated like in the next head. And I was like, oh, I wonder how he did that. And next thing you know, I have most of the transcription down except for a few key sections, which I'm still sure are not correct. <laughs> and... um <laughs> And I was like, "Wow, I should really like try and finish this." So that was that was the goal was just to kind of just to kind of get through the end. I shall say, um, I don't normally transcribe entire tunes like this. <laughs> this is a very rare right. thing for me to do. Right. Um, right. I just I had learned I was learning stuff from basically every phrase that he had, and I was just like, mm-hmm. "Okay, I'm just going to do this one." Wow, you pick, well, you picked a good one, man. It's it's fantastic. So. Um, I thought, you know, we had talked about, you know, Mind Shining Hour, as you have mentioned uh, in our discussions, it's really kind of associated with most people think of it, you know, you say Mind Shining Hour and they think Frank Sinatra. Yeah, it sounds like this. My Shining Hour Calm and happy and I mean, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's great lovely. Classic freak. It's a yeah, but it's not what Ben's doing. No, <laughs> it, it, it couldn't be. It couldn't be more opposite, right? Of what right. Ben plays with the same thing. 
So, so we're going to listen to Ben. We're going to listen to this tra- uh, th- this solo, this treatment of my shining hour. But before we, but before we listen to it, I, I, we should let listeners know that they have access to the transcription, so they can follow along with it right now, uh, as as we play it and kind of uh, have it in front of them as we break it apart here today. Correct. Yeah, my mission is always to like inspire you to learn to play music, right? So the transcription right. is free. You can have it for free. I think you'll put it down in the description. There's a link. You can just yes. download both mm-hmm. the lead sheet I made of Ben's version, which has his chords and his structure, as well as the note-for-note transcription. Right. Fa- fabulous. So, yeah, those will be in the show notes, and you can also access that through your website as well, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's it. So, you go to jazzlibrary.com slash jazzpianoskills. It's right there. But that's the same link we can put in the show notes. Yeah, right. Awesome. So, all right, should we fire it up and take a listen to this? It's about, what, all four right. minutes? It's like four and a half minutes, four minutes. So, well, hang on, it's I'm worth gonna, it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to enjoy my <laughs> cup of coffee as we listen to this. So, let's do it. All right, I hope this comes through.
crazy. You know, before we even talk about anything else, can we just talk about the time, the feel, uh, his his articulate? It blows my mind how much he sounds like Oscar Peterson. Man, I I should mention. So this is both. Uh, this is a video recording of this on his YouTube yes. channel. So you should go yes. to Ben Patterson's YouTube channel and watch him play it because so many of the interesting moments where you think it's just complete utter chaos, he's just like chilled, laid back, like makes it look so freaking easy. Yeah, the whole the whole thing he does, right? I mean, it's just, it's it's oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. And yes, I would I I uh, I agree with you. You got to check out the video and just watch him play it, right? I, I, we have to shout out. So let's little lay of the land here. It almost sounds like a trio, right? It's it's two people. It sure. That's it, exactly it's, right. It's this dude Jake Vincel on bass, who we should not let go without without due credit here, because my gosh. Uh, yeah. Right. What a rock. Uh, just rock solid time, and what a feel. And you're right. It does. It sounds like a trio. Yeah, it's, it's just, like his it's left foot on guys. drums, but it's just tapping his foot. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah, if you're not, hey, you know, if you're not tapping your foot during that, then you're, you have no pulse, man. You're like dead. I mean, that's unbelievable. I don't know how that swings so hard. So you asked so, if I would come in and talk about this, and I have to say, I, I love talking about this, but I'm a little bit overwhelmed as to what to talk about <laughs> because there's so many well, things in here. Yeah. We, like yeah. one of the most interesting moments to me is the, is just the form. So he, he, alternates between the key we're in the key of e flat and we start e flat major but yep. every other time through he switches he alternates between yep. e flat and c major and there's a really Such fun bluesy playoff that he does yep. landing on the e natural versus resolving it back to the key of e flat it gives you that kind of third minor third bluesy rub just by yeah. switching those keys it's so it's so refreshing the switch I loved it too. That's one of the very first things I, I picked up on I was like wow I, I just love the alternating keys um, and you're right. There's so much to talk about in this solo. So, uh, where do you think's a good place to start, man? <laughs> well, I guess I mean one of the things that I picked up just as a general thing throughout the entire progression. Maybe we should start there. It's looking at trends throughout the whole song instead of specific moments. And um, it's his comping. Yeah. So he doesn't play like a Charleston comping. He doesn't play a red grain or a red green, <laughs> a red garland comping pattern, right? Um, both are clearly inspired by this, but it's almost like he's drumming between his hands. Yeah. When his right hand, yeah. when his right hand breaks, his left hand comes in, and he's using yeah. that to drive the swing feel. Because actually, when you look at the solo, one of the things that I learned about myself from transcribing other solos was just how much I play on the beat versus playing off the beat. And these right. guys play off the beat a lot more, right? But he actually yeah. plays on the beat a lot in this solo. And what makes it swing is the way he plays it off the left hand. Yeah. And I think if you watch that video, it will help you pick up on what you're talking about for sure, right? That's that's why everyone should go out and check out that video and check and, and, and zone in on the left hand, right? We can easily get so attracted, you know, uh, locked into what's happening in the right hand when a jazz pianist is playing, especially when you're watching a video. But you bring up a very, very good point in that what, what, how they're supporting what they're doing in their right hand in the solo, they're comping the voicings, and how they're using those voicings, so oftentimes get overlooked. So I would suggest for everybody to watch the video and watch the left hand. As much as, as tempting as it is to lock in on the right hand, watch the left hand. It's interesting to me, the, like the left and right hand almost never play together, right? So if you were playing, say, a Charleston rhythm underneath it and soloing over top of it, there'd be a right. lot of moments where your hands overlapped. His hands Correct. almost never overlap. It's like right, left, or left, right. 
They're they're right. playing off each other like that. Right. So um, <clears throat> the other thing that struck me, Josh, and going through, I mean, there's such, uh, you know, iconic vocabulary that he's using, right? Um, but his the use of which again comes from Oscar Peterson, right? The, the, all the the half step approachments, the major the, the target notes, right? To your thirds and fifths and sevenths and ninths, the half step approachments, the enclosures. I mean, classic classic bebop, classic jazz vocabulary, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's so much chromaticism in here. Yeah. Not chromaticism in harmonic chromaticism, using chromatic lines to approach or enclose or surround or whatever. Right. Right. Just take up time, yeah. frankly. A lot of times you just want the flurry of notes in some place, you just chromatic up and chromatic down. Right. So, you know, if some of the things I like to do in a transcription, uh, and I, I've mentioned this, I think, in previous podcast episodes, you know, I would encourage everybody to kind of go through here. Uh, I, I like to break apart, look at what musicians are doing on specific chords, right? Like I'll take like maybe that E flat. What, how does he approach, how does he treat E flat major seven through this entire tuner? How does he approach the two, five, a two, five, one progression through this tune? And, and I would actually lift those, extract those elements out of the, out of the transcription and examine those with regards to what are his entry points to the, the to that specific sound. What, how does he resolve? How does he? Uh, how, what kind of motion does he tend to lean toward? Is he using scale motion, arpeggio motion, a combination of the two? You know those kind of uh, those kind of characteristics because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find stylistic elements that he's using that I'm drawn to, and then I want to lift those and actually create exercises for myself. Uh, that incorporate that approach to playing so that I can begin developing muscle memory and oral memory that that starts to sneak into my vocabulary. Is it is this something that you do as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally stealing from them. Absolutely. Yeah. He has this right. riff. Actually, this is one I took. Let's see. He does this thing several times. Yes, right, right. Yeah, where all he's doing there is he's he's all he's highlighting five one five one and approaching it from a chromatic above two chromatic notes right. above each note, and he does that. I think there's three or four times in this arrangement where he does exactly that move to kind of change registers, right? And and simple little things too, like you know if look at measure seventy one, and it's on a C major seven. And this is what I for you know all the listeners here at Jazz Piano Skills, and you're trying to develop your jazz articulation, your jazz field, some jazz vocabulary. Look at the simplicity of this on C major, right? I love it. The fifth going up to the root. I'm, of course, I'm starting on, on, on the uh, second count there, right? Second beat. It, right, with the little bebop, with the little B flat to the B natural to the C, right? H- how easy is that? Right. But to play that, but to play that with the right feel, the right articulation, you know, that's something that I would encourage a a beginning student, a beginning jazz improviser. I would encourage them to take that little motif right there and practice that little motif over all your major seven chords. Just, just that. And to be able to play that. And I would say when you play it, make it sound like Oscar Peterson. Can you articulate that and play that? like you're hearing Ben Patterson play it or like you hear Oscar Peterson play it. The other thing that's interesting to me about that measure, I have, I have a whole note about that measure actually, 
is the when he includes that B flat, which is the passing note in the bebop scale, like you were saying, right? Um, it's oh, but he's also going to the four, right? So he's the the context of this is he's going to a two five one to change back into the other key and key B flat, right? So he right. knows he's going from C major seven to F seven, and that adding that that B flat in it only gives it a dominant feel that takes you to the four. Yeah. Right. Uh, whether he yeah. now he probably wasn't thinking this in the moment while he was soloing <laughs> over this, right? He had practiced this a million times beforehand, and it just came out of him. But of it's course. a little moment well, of brilliance. Yeah. Well, and then and then the measures following that is a little moment of brilliance too, right? And that, another simple classic, classic line over the two five, the F minor seven to the B flat seven. You, you, uh, same same type of deal. And look what's happening up on the seventh of the B flat seven. You got the A flat, and then the chromaticism again, right to the A natural. Well, I mean, right? say it this and way: compare do... compare beats two and three of seventy one to beats three and yep. four of seventy two. That's exactly right. They're the same that's exactly, thing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So that should tell you that hey, you know, that's a, that's a little classic. Uh, that's a that's classic uh, jazz vocabulary. I should actually start practicing that. And getting it under my hands and in my ears, and I would be surprised it starts to sneak into my uh, my own playing, right? So, so this is this is like this is what I'm talking about finding these little gems, these little nuggets that are buried in the solo. Because, like you mentioned earlier, you can get overwhelmed, right? I mean, you take a look at this solo and you go, like, you know, we're saying, where do we begin to talk about it? Can you imagine a, a beginning jazz student's going, like, what, 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 begin to talk about it? Where do you even begin to try to understand how to utilize it to help myself develop as a jazz pianist? There are some solos that you listen to the song and you go, wow, what the heck did I just hear? And then you go through and transcribe moments and you look at it and you're like, what the heck am I seeing? But that's not the case with this one, right? Like this one... Right. You listen to it and you're like, "Well, my gosh, that was amazing!" And you look at it in the micro moments and you realize, "Oh, this is not that complicated." He's actually like using really simple ideas and he's just <laughs> using them in brilliant ways. Now, can we talk right. about since we just left off on seventy one, seventy two? Yeah. Can we look at seventy three yeah. because this is one of the most interesting parts of the whole thing for me. Love so we just changed keys into E flat, right? So he has this motif where he starts on the five of E flat and he out yeah. so he goes from B flat to E flat. Now he's resolving that that E flat is going to a C seven chord, so he's playing a sharp nine over a C seven chord right there. So that's a very colorful note. And then he reverses the motif in the next bar. He goes from the E flat yeah. back to the B flat, and he resolves it to the one to the to the B flat on the B flat chord. Yeah. And that to me, yeah. like I never think of that stuff while I'm playing. It's so simple. It's like a mirror image. But I would yeah, have been afraid, it, I think, to play that E flat over that C seven chord so prominently in the front of the head of that. I think. Uh, yeah, you're not alone. I think I think a lot of folks would be uh, afraid to do that, and not only play the E flat, but hey, how about this? Let's double that E flat. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which this is, is very Oscar. This is very Oscarish right here. This was one of the things that you know I learned back in music school from my my band director. I was a trombone player. Did you know this was a professional trombone player at one point? He said, so "When you have a note that good, 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 good job switching to piano, man. <laughs> when you play a note that is intention, you play it loudly so that people know it's on purpose, so they know it's not a wrong note, right? And that's like right. what he's doing here. He's accenting that E flat to make sure you know, like, hey, this is the sound I want over that C seven chord. Some serious bite, and I love it, right? Some nice tension, no doubt about it. It also helps um, that it oh, goes by very quickly. Of course." <laughs> Right, you wouldn't because, do that you know, in okay, a ballad, talk, probably. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about that for a second too, because that, I think that's important for uh, beginning jazz players 
to kind of come to grips with uh, initially conceptually so that it spills over into their playing physically. That music, and I'm not even talking jazz, music, period, I don't care what genre you want to talk about, is always, the musician is always striking, or the musician or the composer, is always striking a balance between tension and release, tension and resolution. And once you understand that, then, like you said, I would have never thought of landing on that sharp nine and accenting that sharp nine over that C7. But he's setting up that tension to release that tension. And once, once we start understanding that music is this constant tension release, tension resolution that's going back and forth, then that starts to, our playing starts to, uh, for lack of a better expression, loosen up, right? We start to loosen up and we start, we start to feel more comfortable bringing in the wrong notes, if you will, to create that tension so we can resolve it. But you have to be very careful, like you said. If you're in a ballad, be careful. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about that too because when you're when you're looking at when you stop listening to the music and you start looking at the transcription, you have to remember the context as to what you're hearing, right? Because it goes by so fast. This bump, bump, right. bump, 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 bump. That's one phrase that kind of like builds up and comes back yeah. down right away. Right. If you were playing this as a ballad at like 80 beats per minute, those would be two phrases and it wouldn't work. You would like right. he's thinking of this as one idea, not two separate ideas, and so you can't you can't look at like just the half the idea. You have to look at the whole. Well, and and that's exactly right, and that's why you can't just look at a transcription uh, transcription and then think that you're going to copy and paste that you're going to copy that idea and just paste it into some other place, so, some other tune, some other context, some other tempo, and think that it's just going to work. Right. Right. So, the, so he's built this often doesn't work. So he built this motif. Of just, I mean, it's five. <laughs> it's going up a fourth and then coming down a fourth. Super simple notes. But look at what else he changes in the second half. Right? He displaces the rhythm by half a beat. Yeah. Right. So right. it's just, it's just like more things. Like, how do I take this simple idea and make it more interesting? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you know, that's you bring up a really good point there that I want to kind of expand upon for a second. You know. I'm always telling students that you have to practice scales, your scales, your arpeggios. You have to practice them from different entry points. In other words, you cannot be root dependent, right? You can't play a C scale starting on C all the time. Are you kidding me, right? But this is how we're this is how we're typically taught to play scales and and to play arpeggios. You know, if you're going to play an F scale, you're going to start on F, right? So I'm often I'm, t- I'm always, always talking about you know vary your entry points when you practice intentionally start practicing scales from the third to the ninth or from the fifth to the eleventh or from the seventh to the thirteenth don't always just pl- be playing from the root well the same can be said and it should be said don't become beat dependent either where you're always starting a phrase on count one or count two or count three or count four we we want to we should be practicing starting a scale on the end of one or starting right. a line on the end of two or on the end of three or on the end of four that we don't want to become beat dependent either yeah absolutely i 100 percent agree with you I, I what i was pointing out here was that i thought it was interesting that he just echoed the motif back he mirrored it back yeah actually 
But yeah, then he displaced the rhythm to make it more interesting. Yeah, and, and I guess my point is is that the reason he, you know, the reason he can do that is because he's comfortable doing that because he's practiced that, right? That that's something like 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 you you were mentioning. I don't think he consciously said, "Okay, I'm going to now displace this motif. I'm going to start on the and on the and of one and." And, and right, this is a feel thing. This is an articulation thing. This is something where his hands and his ears have been here before, you know, and that's and, and that's happens in practice. OK, so I have another observation. OK, uh, you might disagree with me on this one. So this could be fun. I would. Never it appears to me in, 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 in cases that he doesn't even care about chord tones. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the end of his phrases, he cares greatly about ending his phrases in interesting places, interesting chord tones, color notes. But oftentimes his lines start in places I wouldn't think to start, like um, on the on an F sharp in a D minor chord. Like he he starts lines in very strange places, and he either uses them either as like chromatic notes or enclosure notes, like we talked about before. But oftentimes he's just worried about staying in the right key and the right tonality, and not even worrying about whether the chord, the notes I'm playing fit immediately under the chords. He always takes you home. Right. All right. So you want my thoughts on that? I want to see if you disagree. I think you do. I totally disagree with you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do, but I don't. But here, here, and here's why I say that. I, I actually think because he's so locked in on the harmonic motion and chord tones that uh, that that the wrong notes, if you will, I call them wrong notes because they're they're not wrong notes, right? I mean, there aren't any wrong notes if you know how to play inside outside. There aren't any wrong notes. But the fact that he is so locked in on chord tones gives him the ability to actually start on those places that that you're talking about, to be able to start on an F sharp on a on, on a D minor, to be able to start on a non uh, diatonic chord scale relationship note. Uh, the fact that he is so comfortable with inside starting anything from the outside, he can start anywhere he wants, inside outside. It makes no difference. But he sees all that in context. He sees all of that in context to the harmonic structure, the sound that is supporting what he's doing. I think we're agreeing more than we thought at first. So yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, right? I don't think I, these are wrong notes. Uh, to me, right notes are the notes you intended to play, and wrong notes are the ones you didn't intend to play. Right? No matter what it sounds like, if you meant to play it and it came out great, it's a right note. Um, and so let's look at a real example. Look at measure thirty-nine. Okay. Thirty-nine. What did all right, I'm there. This? Like I'm there. Okay, so he's playing E flat major seven chord, and just look at look at what notes he's playing. What do you, what yeah. do you see when you look at that line? I see an incredibly diatonic line. Right. Yeah, I see a half step approachment to the third. Right. Chromaticism from the from the ninth to the third. Yep. Right. And the chromaticism that's there is generally moving you up toward a chord tone, like in measure th- like in measure forty, the A flat right. to the A. Yeah. Uh, right. Is a but I, I don't see anything odd here in this measure. I can tell you, I, I've played a lot of songs in the key of E-flat. I almost never start a line on C. <laughs> and that's not that C isn't in the key. I think of that being a, like an E-flat major 6 sound more than an E-flat major 7 sound. Maybe yeah, yeah. this is my right. own, my own. Right. you know, need yeah. more time in the woodshed myself. But um, Yeah. 
Yeah, I get, I get. Yeah, right. It's kind of, it's kind of unorthodoxy, right? Meaning that we, we do want to, as we develop, as we, as a beginning jazz pianist, I remember I, I would literally lock into. First of all, I would always hug the melody of a tune when I was improvising because it was a security blanket because I didn't, I didn't have any vocabulary. So the only vocabulary I had was really the melody of the tune, and all like, and my improvisation started with just kind of manipulating the rhythmic interpretation of that melody and maybe doing some little crush tones, little approach tones, which he does throughout this solo, by the way. All over. Um, yeah, right. Um, and, and, and then when I started to branch off from feeling like I could scoot away from the melody a little bit more, I, I, was, be- I was very chord dependent. I mean, um, uh, like launching from the root or from the third or from the fifth or the seventh of the chord or the harmony. Uh, and then... Uh, then from there, it started to become, I started gravitating toward more this kind of stuff, launching from, uh, you know, the 13th or, uh, or the 9th, the upper extensions, starting with the upper extensions as opposed to starting with the, with the primary chord tones. And then from there, and then from there, I started incorporating half-step approaches uh, to those chord tones because I started to realize that the half-step is the greatest source of tension in music the half step and that I figured out these jazz musicians are using that half step to their advantage to create this tension and release this resolution that I was just talking about earlier. So, but I agree with you starting most jazz students when practicing are not starting lines on the 13th and are not starting on the end of one either. Actually. And and the more, then maybe I didn't pick the best example to point out, Uh, but this one, I bet that Ben was thinking he's starting the line on D on beat two, and he just put the C in there like a ghost note, like a rhythmic placeholder to launch him into it. I would concur with that. I, I absolutely think that that's, you know, he's he's seeing the seventh there. Yeah. Right? He's seeing the seventh. So, which goes back to what I think we were just talking about, right? I do think he's very aware of, uh, of the chord tones, the primary chord tones. Uh, and, and you know what's kind of funny about that, Josh? I see the primary chord tones now. My the way I see the primary chord tones when I'm practicing, I see primary chord tones as the root, third, five, seven, nine, eleven, thirteen. I don't even think I don't even think of it as upper extensions anymore. I just think of it as root, third, five, seven, nine, eleven, thirteen. And I could start from any one I could start from any of those. I practice starting from any one of those notes to create vocabulary. So I want to play you a section here and I want you to explain what's happening. Since you're the we're, almighty, we're, we're, so oh, are, are you going to that? Are you going to that? No, 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 I know, no, no, I know not, where, you, not, I know not, where you're not, going, man. I'm not going there. <laughs> I promise you, I'm not going there. I'm looking at measure 61. Okay, 61. Okay, I'm gonna All play. Right. I'm gonna play a few bars good leading into it. Uh, okay. Ready? Yeah. So what do you hear over that minor, over that um, two five, and then uh, the two five there in line sixty one or in measure sixty one? What do I hear? Like in terms of that's a harmonic sound that I hear often. That kind of um, it almost sounds like an altered dominant sound. Uh, Definitely. Um, Over that two five in B flat, but it's it's not altered, is it? Why does it sound altered to me? 
Well, I think because you're hearing, I think because you're hearing like that C sharp against that B flat seven, uh, you're you're hearing right. So you're hearing that anytime anytime I think you hear a sharp nine, you 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 hear altered, right? Or are sure. you hearing altered? Are you hearing altered back on over the F minor seven? Well, that that's kind of that's kind of measure sixty two, which in my mind is just a chromatic line he's using to go down into that correct motif he's start, starting it, it, right. It, it, right, right. So I guess. So this is something you and I started to talk about last night, actually, on your on your master class, is this idea of um, when you – Barry Harris taught when you play a 2-5, you only play 5. And this comes right. from this – and I know that Ben is at least influenced by Barry. He does the live streams on his YouTube channel where he sometimes talks about his influences and where he comes right. from. He's in New York. I'm sure he went to a, a handful of workshops, right? Right, right. But Barry has this idea that when you see a 2-5, you just play a 5 the whole time. And that right. um, that comes from his. Uh, this is a, probably a whole podcast in itself. But he would say a G seven chord is actually a D minor six chord with a G in the bass. That's how he thinks about it. It's called the six on the fifth. And mm-hmm. so when I see this F minor seven to B flat, I see a two five where he's just playing B flat seven the whole time. I mean that line to me that line that in measure sixty one to I, me just I, looks I, like B flat seven or B flat yeah, mixolydian. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, the, the, and and I think that's absolutely right. What Barry Harris is talking about—the two chord is absorbed by the five chord. A- because otherwise, right. I don't think I would ever think to do this. The first note of that line, he has a harmonized with a D major with a with a D natural in it. I just yeah. probably wouldn't have thought to play that if I wasn't thinking yeah. D flat. You know, you know what's interesting about that? Oftentimes, I've actually gotten to the point where I actually think the other way around because I because I see them as so much the same. Um, meaning that I, I often say that the, uh, the minor chord is the gateway, right? It's the gateway to the 2-5. So whatever you play over your minor will work. Over, I, I literally have said this to students. Whatever you play over your minor chord will work over your 5 chord. And the only w- the reason I can say that is because I'm actually thinking of the minor chord as the 5 chord. <laughs> right. You know, what, you, know, you know what I'm saying? So that's, I, I, get, I get totally what you're saying, and, and I think that's exactly what's going on here. I think the tension that I hear though is is the bass playing B minor, his left hand comp or I'm playing F minor, I'm sorry, and his left hand playing F minor, but his right hand playing B flat just gives you that such a cool bluesy tension that he then resolves um, down that chromatic well, line. It, well, and when you have the F minor with the B flat underneath, see, I I hear a lot of suspension there, mm-hmm. a, a suspended sound, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Which I which I love as well. So yeah, you say Barry Harris says minor six. The minor six is with the G underneath it is is a dominant chord, right? I, I think well, if minor seven is the dominant sus chord. Okay, yeah, basically with, the same idea. Same idea, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Barry, Barry fascinates me, and I've done a lot of this on my YouTube channel, by the way, because Barry never thought of anything above a seven. He everything was major sixes or minor sixes, basically. He didn't think extensions, alterations at all. Um, and to get right. to his level of playing, it's really interesting to see how somebody else looks at the. But theory. I thought I bet I bet he thought two, four, and six, which is nine, eleven, thirteen. Yeah, he thought about these six on the fifth concept. Again, this is probably a, this is probably a whole other discussion as to how. Yeah, he it, about yeah, them. yeah, right. But 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 my point being is that like right, you know, two, four, six, nine, nine, eleven, thirteen. It's all right. Fact, he played those notes, but he just yeah. thought about them. So if he saw C major seven, he would play a G major six chord in his right hand. Right, right. All right. Hey, I want you to take a look at uh, measure uh, measure hundred. Okay. Yeah. What do you see there, man? Tell me what you see in in, in measure one hundred. 
I'll tell you what you see. An incredibly simple line. <laughs> yeah, very, very, yeah. I'm sorry, I was looking at 101. I measure 100. Oh, yeah. yeah, very simple. Almost our, just an arpeggio. It's ridiculous, right? It's yeah. it, it, it's it, it's ridiculous, and 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 I would encourage every listener just to go play that little line. Just play, just play. Measure, practice measure one hundred over every dominant chord. Just do that, and make it and make it swing and make it feel right. It's so much simpler than than you would learn from most other books. My teacher, a great uh, author, Jeremy Siskind, tells you, you know, end a line on the three, the seven, the nine. He's starting on the five and ending on the one, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like so simple. It's so simple. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you a little story that just happened to me that magnifies what I'm getting at with this measure here. Uh, <laughs> can't even believe I'm sharing this with everybody. So, I, I recently got a trainer. Man, I'm trying to get fit. Mm. Trying to get, you know, I'm getting old. And when you get old, you start worrying about getting getting fit because you actually see yourself getting old. And you go, okay, I got, I got to put, the, I got to pump the brakes here somehow. I got to pump the brakes. So I'm I'm working with this trainer, and uh, and working on mobility, strength, conditioning stuff, right? And uh, has me doing a lot of really, I guess, really fundamental, basic stuff that's so important. And so this last week, as you know, I was out east in New York, New Jersey, visiting my son. And so I took my, uh, I threw in my suitcase my resistance bands and, and a few little exercise things. I threw in the suitcase. And so now I'm out there visiting him this last week, and I was doing full body workouts, full body exercises in my hotel room with this, little, with this equipment. I literally, Josh, I literally picked up the phone. I texted, I texted my trainer, and I said, thank you. That's all I said, thank you. He texts back, for what? <laughs> and I said, for teaching me how to exercise, understanding exercise to the point that I could do a full body workout in my hotel room. And, you, and, and here's, what's, here's what's interesting. You know what he says? He writes back and he says, yes, it's amazing how much you can do with so little once you know what you're doing. And when he made that comment in the text, I immediately thought about music. It's amazing how much you can do with so little if you know what you're doing. Now look at measure 100 again. It's so little, right? <laughs> right. This, there's nothing earth-shattering, nothing earth-shattering about this at all. And, uh, but yet, it's classic vocabulary that everybody should have under their belt. In fact, I would say that measure right there, if you practice that and you play that with a good feel— in time, various tempos, you, you have done yourself a world of a, a world of favors because it encapsulates your ability to actually play jazz. And I guarantee it, it is. It's like measure? the more advanced and the more time you spend with material, the more you recognize how important the fundamentals are. Right? Like they, no the fundamentals never get boring. <laughs> um, never. And look at what he does to get into that line. By the way, um, he starts right. on the one. And he just plays a chromatic scale <laughs> up yeah. into it. It's nothing yeah. fancy. Uh, it sounds absolutely. super cool. Right. Here, here's another measure. Check out measure. Here's measure. Look at measure 106. I love this, right? What's, what's, in, what's interesting about measure 106? I mean, it's basically the same kind of idea, right? It's an A. Well, no, because it's got the C natural in it. Yeah, C natural. You got basically an A minor triad over an A dominant seven. Right, and that A minor triad creates it creates what an altered 
It's it altered sharp, sound. That sharp nine it, again. That sharp nine again. So here's something that I would do with, with jazz students. I'd say, hey, you know what? This is not a bad idea. Let's play A dominant and play A minor over the top of it. Let's play C dominant, play C minor over the top of it. Let's play D dominant, play D minor over the top of it. Right? And, and go through all 12 dominant chords, understanding this dominant minor relationship, creating a sharp nine sound. So don't get don't, if you look at that measure in itself, I agree. I'm not sure he's actually thinking that here, though, because he starts the motif in 105. He's playing a, basically a kind of repeated yeah. arpeggio, right? Where he's playing right. it on C7, so he needs the C natural. Then he goes to A7. He keeps the C natural because it's it's just an interesting rub. Then he goes to D7 and plays the same thing, where that C is the is the dominant yeah. seven. Yeah. And then he goes to G7, where the C is the 11, right? Um, yeah. Right. So it's just an interesting right. common tone that he's thrown in that line, also. Well, see, and I and I agree. But what we do, this is why transcriptions are so important, because you, then you actually see that and you can assess it and analyze it and put it into uh, verbiage that makes sense. Oh, minor triad over dominant seven. Now I can actually take that idea and practice it so that I no longer have to think of it as a minor dominant. Uh, you know, I don't think polychords are just a way to get you at a sound, it gets you to a sound. Introduce you to the sound. Once once the sound becomes ingrained in your ears and in your in your hands, then you're no longer thinking polychords. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he's thinking that at all. But for practice purposes, so that we can replicate it and then move it to different to, to, to different chords, I think that's important. And like you said, that G7, I find that fascinating too, right? That G7, there's the 13, the 11, and the 9. So he the upper extensions upper extensions with that triad but i'm I, he's not I, I know he's not thinking that this is something that has been practiced and has been ingrained in his in his ears and under his hands it's it's 105 through 108 is just a turnaround 1625 right yeah, and yeah. um and he's yeah. just playing diatonic notes in the key yeah. so yeah. in one sense it's really a simple idea to get your head around but that repeated motif he's he's he knows which color tones he's aiming for and how those play off each other as the chords underneath it change it's just so right. interesting this is bluesy yeah. thing all day long right blues players love to to take the the b flat and or, or let's say the e flat in a I've, we should probably say what key we're in. If we're next playing a C blues, we're playing an E flat. They know that that's the bluesy note in C major, but it's the flat thirteen in G. They know that they can right. play those things off of each other. He's he's right. just a guy who's just spent a ton of time playing turnarounds for ten minutes a day for, for you know for how long? <laughs> well, and and how much can listen the turnaround? There you get it. Uh, so little uh, accomplishing so much with so little, right? The turnaround. Oh my gosh, should we not all be practicing turnarounds? Yeah, you think he spent some time with rhythm changes? I mean, that's what he's playing. Oh here. my gosh, absolutely right, correct. All right, so, we can't okay. we can't Josh. end this without looking at some of the crazy stuff. We got to look at least. Yeah, look yeah, at I, it. I, I I was just going there, man. I was just going there. So t talk talk to us about the crazy stuff. All right, let's look at. So this is at measure one thirty seven, and you yeah. can see my annotations there. Basically, admit that I don't have any idea what's happening. It sounds very <laughs> I, diatonic to me. By the way, I did get a kick out of your annotations. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> So my approach when I transcribe stuff is I start with the rhythm. We talked about this on the last episode we did this together. Yeah, right. I write the rhythm down first, then I fill in the notes. Well, this is clearly, I mean, it's just straight eighth note triplets. That was easy. So it was, you know, what, six bars, eight bars, eight bars right. of just straight eighth note triplets, basically. And it sounded very diatonic to me. So I actually cheated. I went to the video to try to figure out what he's doing, because maybe we should play this section again, actually. Yeah, let's help. do it. Yeah, let's do that. 
close it. Uh, hold on. All right, here we go. So uh, what part of what makes this sound so cool is he's doing two hands, but right. he's not doing the two hand melodic stuff that Oscar's famous for. He's got Correct. the bass player walking, a, walking in his left, and then right. he's walking a different bass line in his left hand. So that like the bass and his left hand are competing with each other while he's doing this crazy yeah. diatonic thing on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My bass player would say. fire me. I, yeah, I don't even know what to say, man. I, I don't even know what to say. It's one of those things that, you know, it, it just sounds great. I would have never thought of it. I would never do it. I don't know what, I don't even know what the heck's going on there, but it sounds fantastic. It's a four octave range over mm-hmm. eight bars, which yeah. is interesting. Like the notes are not that interesting, frankly. What's interesting is just it's a chaotic moment. It's a chaotic moment, right? Yeah. Now he does it again. Yeah, if a you... chaotic moment that ends, that ends correctly. Now, if you keep going, well, I'm going to keep playing where we left off, but in about eight more bars, he goes total chaos again, but this time it's not diatonic. Right. In measure 153. Three. Yeah. Here we go. Right, not diatonic this time. It's the same chaotic feeling, but now he's chromatic all over the place. And he brings it back home with those arpeggios at the end, which which I just love. Yeah. The, um, um, yeah, very interesting, right? Uh, Where he ends on the sharp five to bring you down to the five. Josh, you, 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 should, you should email Ben Patterson and say, just what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> well, I, I tried this, actually. <laughs> I, maybe I should Did shouldn't. you? <laughs> So I mentioned Ben has a, Ben no 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 Ben has a live stream on his YouTube channel. He's very approachable, by the way. He's such a kind person, and so I do. I yeah. sit on his live stream, and I did what's called a super chat, where you throw ten bucks in and you put a chat message in, and you hope that he answers the question because you paid him for it. And my question was basically that, like, hey, I'm looking at my shining hour, this timestamp, this measure number. What the hell are you doing here? And you saw <laughs> like, you saw his face as the comment came up, and he just kind of, how am I supposed to answer that? And then just moved right on. <laughs> He didn't answer it at all. Didn't even acknowledge it. Uh, I know he saw it. I will put money yeah, on that right. he saw it. Now, I, I on my uh, YouTube channel, I have a I have a transcription video version of this as well, where I have it's kind of like Mickey Mouse Club, where I have the notation going underneath the recording, and I know he's right. seen it. I know he's seen it, so he's aware that I'm that I'm up to some funny business trying to figure this out. But <laughs> yeah, because there's a secret to the sauce here, man. There's a secret to the sauce. I'm By the way, you. we're 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 kind of. I mean, there is a culture of jazz of like transcribing each other's stuff and talking about it. So we're not stealing anything here, but we should give a lot of credit to Ben. He has on his website, he has an amazing recording also on his YouTube channel of uh, Isn't She Lovely, which you should look at. It's Mm. equally amazing to this one. And he sells a course for like 25 bucks where he walks you through his solo from his own thinking. It's totally worth the 25 bucks and we should support him. Oh, no doubt. Totally should go support him on that. I learned so much. From, yeah. It's like an hour-long video you buy for 25 bucks, and he plays it for you and shows you exactly note for note why he's doing what he's doing and how he's thinking about it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. But I cannot play this section. Uh, uh, I just, I, every time, I just fall and laugh when I try to play it. Yeah, see, now you're looking at, you're, you're spending time on that crazy stuff. I'm spending time on Measure 173 and going like, man, I just, I want to get this line down. 
and here's another here's another great example of what I would tell jazz piano skills listeners learning how to improvise. 173 is another measure I would lock in. I, I would grab that measure, and I and I would literally would practice playing that line over my major seven chords. And check out. What I, he's I agree with on. you. I, I, I am sharp I mean, eleven. I'm I am certainly riveted by the fancy stuff, and it's fun to break yeah. down and dive into it. But you're right. Like when I'm deconstructing this for things to practice myself, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. I'm looking at the simple lines. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about one more thing before you hang up on me. Yeah. Okay, so fast forward way to like measure two oh six. Two oh six. So in measure two oh seven is this is this fun arpeggio down over mm-hmm. a minor two five. I hear this sound all the time. I hear this a lot in our Tatum. I hear this a lot. Let me play it. Okay. It, it, starting at two oh six, you're gonna Yeah, I'm gonna start I mean, playing a measure or two before that. Okay. Art Tatum yeah. thing. Very much so. Yeah. And it, it's a repeated pattern, right? It's like that um, B flat A E natural kind of thing repeated all the way down. Mm-hmm. But I have a note in here from weeks ago that says, please ask Dr. Bob to explain what this means. What it, so uh, the, the, it's the so triplet line I... in 207 and 208. Yeah. And this is being played over our 2 5. Minor two five, or yep. treating it yeah like a minor two five going to the C minor right. It feels almost like one of those Art Tatum pentatonicy, just like technical patterns that he just practiced so much. Yeah. But I hear this sound all the time. I hear this in Oscar all the time too. This exact like well, Oscar, this exact Oscar, same. I, well, he took it from Art Tatum. Yeah. I mean that's that's an Art Tatum line, and uh, I would have to say. You know, I'm going to practice that this afternoon, and then I'll I'll have a a good answer for you, hopefully. But yeah, I think it's. Uh, if, I mean, it's definitely. It's, it's just so interesting. It's altered. Uh, yeah, that it goes. It's that it plays sound. off the B natural and then resolves it down to the B flat in the next and, and, measure. And here, I, I just had simple glance at this. I think this would go back to what you were saying earlier, right? I think he's. I think he's thinking that five over the top of all that. Right, I think I think it's just that's a that's a a dominant lick, if you will. It's a bluesy dominant lick because it's full of bluesy the flat domi- three. Yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't like getting too wrapped up with the D half diminish. I'm thinking I'm I'm looking at that I'm looking at that entire line over the G seven. Right, so it's definitely a bluesy altered sound there. You got you got the you got the sharp. I mean the B flat in there. You got a D flat in there. Right, these are altered altered dominant sounds over that g7 so i mean I w- who doesn't love those s- just those like fast three or four octave uh arpeggio art oh, thing i just they're so great they're full of those colorful notes i just love them they're fantastic they're fantastic yeah yeah and and and, and, and I, you'd hear oscar do it but he certainly i think he would tell you that he got it from from art datum you know and then then comes out of that look at that then you come right out of that to that C minor and look at that little look at that little line right there of course we're so simple but, you're right look at that little that oh my gosh we should practice that line too right that little C E flat F G how how simple well, is and he's that? quoting the melody at this point it's the he's melody coming right, back right yeah right 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 but still right just taking just taking that little idea that's a great little motif to practice as well 
So, I mean, we could sit here all day, right, and, and yank these little, these little gems, these little gems out of this transcription. And that's what's so beautiful about studying any transcription, whether it's this one or a Bill Evans transcription or, you know, Keith Jarrett, whoever, right, that there are these little nuggets that help you, help you discover your reservoir of, of creativity and ideas. Because any one of these ideas that we're yanking out today, if you start practicing them, you start to realize you start putting your own bent on the exact same motif. And it starts to, it starts to morph into your, your idea. It's tapped into you, right? So I always like to say transcriptions are about yanking out of you what's in you. They're not about trying to shove into you what's not. You know, some wisdom from Cowboy Bob. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it, man. We're going to get you down here for some ribs, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what other uh, parting wor- pearls of wisdom do you have for jazz piano skills listeners with regards to this transcription? Where, where do they where, where do they go? They've listened to this episode now. They have your transcription in their hands. <sighs> Now I would like. say I would say study it. Don't just try to play along with it. That's what a lot of people I see do with transcriptions is they pick them up yeah. and they just want to play along and they don't really understand what they're playing. No, I, like that's not what this is about. Pick two, Correct. three, four measures and figure it out. Put it in Correct. other keys. Put it in your other tunes. Yeah, uh, you know, play it on your gigs. That's that's where it comes to. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I, I think everyone should be approaching the transcri- any transcription with the idea that I'm about to discover more of me. I'm about to discover more of me, and Ben Patterson's going to help you do that. That's really how we should be approaching this. So, uh, Josh, I can't thank you enough, man. Con- congratulations to you. This is this is an epic transcription that you've put together. It's fabulous. Uh, I, I love that you've made it accessible to everybody out there that they can get their hands on this and download it, print it, and study it, like you said. Um, it's 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 a little it's a gem it's a little pot of gold that I I absolutely encourage everybody to take the time to and spend some time studying this and uh, and also check out Josh's site you got tons of resources there educational resources for folks to tap into as well correct I, I would say if you want to follow me the best place to follow me is my YouTube channel just go to YouTube and search for my name Josh Walsh hit the subscribe button that's quick right. that's become my full-time career it's kind of funny you know the jazz website stuff is fun but my my whole mission right now is just how do we inspire kids and adults to bring some creativity back into their life so many people like become yeah. accountants or lawyers or whatever and they live in the analytical world all the time and they lose this creative side of them and so this is like my, my yeah. mission is to try and reinvigorate some of those things it's not all jazz by the way like my video this week was on stevie wonder um gotta hit people with the music that they enjoy but i'm having a blast and i would love to have it there's amazing community in the comment section of those videos and i hope you guys will join in yeah yeah man i just i just drove over here today listening to george Strait, man on the way to uh, on the way to the office i love it it's fun I guess if you live in Texas long enough, you can't help but the but the check out George. So anyway, all right, Josh, this was awesome, man. This was so much fun. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll have you back on here again very soon with a with, with another uh, with another transcription that we can dive into and take a look at and and see what we can discover, learn, and play. Did you see how? Maybe I did next that, time man? we should do this in person with some brisket on the table. Oh my gosh, how fun would that be, dude? How fun <laughs> that. Send me the invite. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, and a cold and a cold Shinerbach on top of that too. All right, so, I can do that. 
All right, man. All right, Josh, take care. Thank you, my friend, for uh, coming on and sharing your, your insight, your wisdom, and your gifts with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got it, man. Thank you.